0: i'm simon
1: i'm rachel and we're back
0: hi hello <laughs> Did <you miss> us? <laughs> <laughs> sorry that it was such an unannounced um disappearance as well and if you if you don't read my blog you might not have known that i got on hiatus have the internet but we're back after about two months and in today's episode we will be talking monogamous or polygamous, <laughs> to do with <laughs> books, <laughs> um, and two novels by Marguerite Lasky, To Bed with grown Music and The Village. Um, but let's have a bit of a catch-up first, because it's been a while. How are it you, has. Rachel? How, how's your summer been?
1: Oh, well, it was lovely, thank you. Um, I went to Cornwall and Scotland, which were both lovely, um, and just chilled out, really. Read a lot of books, enjoyed myself, joy of teacher holidays. Yeah, Lovely. Yeah, party's over now, though, back at work.
0: What were your highlight reads from the summer? Can you remember?
1: Um, Well, you know, it's all a bit of a blur, really. Um, I did a lot of reading to do with um science in the Victorian period, which is my latest obsession. Of course. Um, yeah, and I really enjoyed a book about Victorian geology called Reading the Rocks, um, which was wonderful. <laughs> and it's a very accessible piece of non-fiction, I might add. Um, and I also really enjoyed, um, what's her name, TV historian, Lucy...
0: Worsley. We're very, very Somerset there for a second. Worsley. Worsley, I believe, is what she's most often pretty. <laughs> we'll uh, just
1: call her
0: Lucy. Lucy. Yes, the one who looks like has. she's still at a girls' boarding school.
1: Very much so, yeah. I forgot you do not like her. Um, <laughs> I read her new biography of Jane Austen, which is called Jane Austen at Home, and... It's based around her houses and her relationship with the domestic environment and the different places in which she lived and how that influenced her writing. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I know some people don't like Lucy Wesley, um, but I think she's really engaging and she writes really well, so that was good as well.
0: Um, my parents went to a talk that she did. They won a competition um, to go and stay somewhere fancy and meet her and have a book. Oh. And all sorts. And I think they're fans. Yes, I think I just find her a bit, I don't know a bit girls born in school I guess <laughs> but um, I don't know I've only seen maybe one episode of any show she's done it was all about toilets or baths or something and I was like no I will not have this
1: <laughs> I just love her enthusiasm
0: she's so enthusiastic that'll get back. Yeah. I mustn't we mustn't yeah. come back after hiatus with me being negative no I must be positive
1: <laughs> but Simon you have to you've got lots to tell us about so you should talk
0: so yes the reason that We've been away for so long. Well, firstly, it was Rachel was on holiday, and by the time she came back, I was moving house. So, yeah. I have, after many years, left being in house shares, and I have moved to my own little flat in the countryside. Yay! Hurrah! Um, so yes, I've been living in, in the city, city centre of Oxford for thirteen years, but um, as of about a month ago, I now live. Uh, I'm getting more like worried about like data protection and identity because. <laughs> I can say Oxford because it's big, but, you know, this village, there's only about 200 people living there, so it'd be very easy to find me. So I'll just say that it's about <laughs> half an hour west of Oxford. Um, and, it, yes, it's this tiny village. I, I've got a very beautiful little flat that's in a house that's been turned into four flats. Um, it's grade two listed. It's, oh. it's tiny and beautiful, and I'm, and I've completely filled it with books. <laughs> so it's the first time since 2004 that I've had all my books with me which um is one of the things I was most excited about because I spent the last, yeah, 13 years saying, often saying, oh, I got that book next time I'm at home or I don't know whether that book's in Oxford or Somerset and now they're just all around me.
1: How lovely. Yeah.
0: I mean, it looks a bit like, uh, I think it's the end times and I'm using books <laughs> as a, a way of, like, barricading myself in. But... <laughs> 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 but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, what is hilarious is that the previous owner had already used book wallpaper on some of the walls, <laughs> so, yeah. which I've left. So um, where where there aren't real books, there's fake books. There's just, there's this everywhere.
1: <laughs> I feel like that could be a fun party game. What's real and what isn't?
0: <laughs> Possibly an easy one, but you can give it a give it a go. Yeah. You might say that I'm stuck in books. It always worked, didn't
1: quite Simon. <laughs> And I feel like there should probably be a thank you involved here, because I'm guessing that your mum and dad had to lug a lot of books down for you.
0: Bless them. So my dad did it all with a man called Dave. Um oh. I've not met Dave, but <laughs> they, they, they 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 came. Well, I mean, he was professional, but but, but um, dad went with him, and they and did they, they did it all while I was at work.
1: Oh, how lovely! Yeah, I,
0: I just got home, and they were all there. Aww. Basically, because Dave could only do Friday or Sunday, um, and. Oh, Dad being a vicar is quite busy on Sundays, so um and I'm just useless, so I wasn't I wasn't involved at all. <laughs> <laughs> um which yeah is probably for the best thing as how uh, so yeah, my adventures with carpet fitters and such have not not been great, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> it did involve me chasing one down the street and begging him not to leave. <laughs> so <laughs> Oh Simon <laughs> I've never felt more out of control in the situation than at that point <laughs> <laughs> but it's all done my carpet's in my books are in and yeah it's if it, it does feel like a, a sort of a, a wonderful new adult thing to do and the fact that you know i'm in my 30s <laughs> i that <mean, laughs> perhaps adulthood should have come earlier but um
1: well but we hey you know what you're ahead of me, Simon. So that's that's fine. true. I may,
0: I may live in the second least affordable place in the country, but you live in the least affordable place in yeah. the country.
1: <laughs> so you know, stuck on renter's renter's alley here. But I did actually just yesterday buy myself an armchair, which has made me feel very grown up. Oh
0: my gosh, yes. Very. Yeah, with a
1: footstool, a matching footstool. Oh, is that a proper
0: reading chair.
1: Yeah, I got it for my kid. Well, actually, my sister got the chair first. So surprisingly, her husband chose it, which I didn't realise at the time. And now he's very proud of himself. But it's this (laughs) big, yellow, bright yellow armchair. And it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I thought, I need that chair in my life. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. So last night, I was like, I'm buying the chair. (laughs) You've done it. I am. I'm 31 years old. If I want to buy a chair, then I jolly well shall. (laughs) So I did.
0: Absolutely. It's right. No. We seem to be going, swinging back and forth between being incapable, ch- like children, and being retired people in this discussion. And yeah. <laughs> 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 at no point have we sounded like people in their thirties. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, apart from moving house, I think just before you went on holiday, I also went on holiday to France. Um,
1: oh yes, the chateau.
0: A the chateau with with a thousand other people or well, seventeen other people. Um, And that was a wonderful, wonderful time. I was a bit nervous because I didn't know half of them. And I'm also, you know, quite an introvert, so I wasn't sure that I'd want to spend time with that many people. Um, But it turned out to be perfect. I could just ignore them all and read in my bedroom if if I wanted to, which I did quite often. I napped every day. It was great.
1: (laughs) No, I just love France.
0: Well, I think my favourite part, and Katie, if you're listening, I do apologise, we were driving off to get the key. There were four of us in the sort of first car to do that. And Katie said, oh, don't worry, he because none of us speak French um, particularly well at all. And she said, don't worry, he's English, he's called Guy. And I thought for a second, are you sure he's not called Guy? <laughs> and, and we got there and discovered, yes, indeed, he was called Guy and did not speak any <laughs> English. <laughs> so um, my French turned out to be the best of the four of us, and my French is very oh, bad. So, so I... Um, But managed to get through. Basically, he just pointed at rooms, said what they were, and then asked us what time we were leaving. So I was able to say, you know, Sunday at 10 o'clock, in in very GCSE English, sorry, GCSE French sort of way.
1: Well well done. I wanted
0: to tell him that at the weekends I go to the cinema and my dad's got blue eyes or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Classic.
0: But he wasn't interested. Mm. And I read lots of great books there, in fact. I read a really fun book called Contested Will by James Shapiro. I saw that in the
1: bookshop today and nearly bought it because I'd read it on
0: the blog Such a great title, I love that title I love a pun But yeah, it's all about um, the authorship question Shakespeare authorship question Not really considering other people as real possibilities, but more looking at how they came to be the popular candidates, I guess But yeah, it's really, really well-researched and quite amusing Um, I read The Village by Margaret Thalaski, which we'll talk about later um, I read a fun book by E. F. Benson called um, *The Osbornes*, which is quite interesting to read alongside *The Village*. Obviously, we'll talk more about that later. But uh, both of them were about can you marry outside your class, but fifty years apart. Um, *The Osbornes* written in the first ten years of the century, and where the classes are so close to each other that I could not tell the difference between them. Some someone was was beyond the pale because he described somebody as noble-looking, <laughs> which apparently. Not Duragher. (laughs) ah, But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think about us, I mean, I must have read a lot of books since we last spoke, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have read a lot of books, but I just can't, you know when you read lots in quick succession?
0: Yeah. What are you reading at the moment?
1: Well, I'm on the last 20 pages of Middlemarch, and I feel very proud of myself.
0: Oh, well done.
1: It's been a long haul, I'm not going to lie. Um, um, I mean, I've read it before for my undergraduate. This I'm reading for my master's, and it's... You know, I don't love George Eliot. Um, I can't quite... She's just a bit too cerebral for me. You know when you have to read every sentence twice? Oh,
0: that's... Yeah. Hmm. yeah. That's
1: not what you want. No. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't think that I'm a particularly dense person, but no, Rach, you know, no. sometimes, you know, when you read a paragraph and you just think, I have absolutely no idea... If I ever want to feel
0: bad about myself, which I don't often, but if I ever (laughs) do, I will turn to Henry James for much the same thing and think, these are just words (laughs) put in in lines with no punctuation, and I do not know what he's trying to say.
1: That's happened to me a lot with Middlemarch, but I have have enjoyed it, but I feel like, you know, 400 pages would have told the story just as well as 800, so...
0: I mean, no book needs to be more than 400 pages at the absolute outside. (laughs)
1: No. So I'm really looking forward to finishing, and then I've—I actually don't know what to read next. I've been so absorbed in this that I can't think what's next.
0: Oh, um, well, yes, what can I recommend? Well, I've read a book about—no, I didn't. I've bought a book about reading Middlemarch <laughs> a while ago, so maybe you'd like to read that next. <laughs> it's by—is oh, it by Rebecca Green. I'm just going to Google it. It's called *The Road to Middlemarch*.
1: Oh, I think I've read a review of that when it came out, and I thought what he t- wants to read Bill of and write a book about it.
0: <laughs> the answer to that question is Rebecca Mead. I don't know who well. Rebecca Groot is, I've clearly made that name up. Um, which is, which I, I bought as part of my buying books about books that I've not read. I I have several books about reading Proust without having read a word of Proust. That sort of thing. Of
1: it course me, you do. Yeah,
0: it makes me feel like I've read read the significant work by just reading around the topic (laughs) i mean i've not read this book either so basically now i've got two books i've not read related to each other (laughs) (laughs) now i just need someone to write a book about reading rebecca mead's book (laughs) (laughs) i can just add that to the shelf and never read any of them (laughs) uh i did want to read the first hundred pages of Middlemarch. um for an essay that I was supposed to be writing that week and then I did not finish the much. I wrote the essay about Jude the Obscure instead and I moved on with my life. So one yeah. day I'm sure I'll go back.
1: Well, you know, it's it's got a lot of wisdom in there. There are a lot of gems. And it is a lovely, beautiful book about the kind of realities of life and putting and kind of realizing that idealism isn't necessarily you know, it doesn't work, but at the same time, you can still have a fulfilling life, even if your ideals don't work out.
0: Yeah, because it, it sounds like the sort of book I'd expect you to love, to be honest. Because of I that know, sort of thing. I whereas, feel like
1: I should love it. Yeah,
0: whereas I, I tend to seek less for a, for a noble message in my books. Maybe. Well,
1: I love the fact that you think I love a noble message.
0: Well, you, it, it's so often you come around and, and bring up really truly inspiring things about the books you're reading, and I'm just like, oh, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I often often am thinking, gosh, I wish I could express myself that that um, eloquently and optimistically. It's a beautiful treat, Rachel. Oh,
1: okay.
0: We said breaks more often, shouldn't should not
1: we? We should. it
0: brings up my kind side. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm reading, in fact, I've just started, um, I'm looking at that, I can't see the title of the author. The Diary of a Bookseller by Sean Bythel, Bythel, B-Y-T-H-E-L-L. How do you pronounce that? Bittle.
1: Bythel, Bythel, I don't know. Is that from your shelf of books about books?
0: Well, it is, but it's also a newly acquired one, and there's a review book that I, I find is not being published until the of September. I'm so ahead of the oh. well, day of recording is 11th September. I think it probably will be much closer to the 28th by the time I actually edit this. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was... Who sent it to me? Who's publishing this book? I think uh, Profile. Um They sent me a copy, and it's non-fiction, Um and it's about running a bookshop in Wigtown, which I've never been to, but it's, um... It's like Y. It's a community of book- booksellers, and it's in... I think it's in the very north of England, or the very south of Scotland. One of those two. <laughs> oh.
1: Um... Yes. I'm sad I didn't know about this place because I could have gone on my odyssey across uh, the UK this summer. I could
0: have done next year.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but so far I'm, I'm very much enjoying it, although I, I did actually only start it whilst waiting for your internet to start working, so I'm on page <laughs> five. <laughs> oh, well. But it's so far very enjoyable. And as already mentioned, Three Fevers by Leah Walmsley, which is a book, guess what, I own but have not read. <laughs>
1: what a surprise.
0: <laughs>
1: you know what I've just realised while looking up the book on Middlemarch you've just recommended mm. is that I thought that Middlemarch had never been made into a film or TV series so I didn't bother looking. Um, I now realise that it has been and the last four weeks I spent reading the book I could have just watched the DVD.
0: <laughs> but you do know that that is not the same, don't you <laughs> yeah,
1: But you know, come on. It I does have proof of seal in it. Oh,
0: yeah. When was it made?
1: 1994. And it looks <laughs> like it was made in 1994 on <laughs> the front cover.
0: That's just before uh, BBC Brand Bridges, isn't it? That was 95.
1: indeed, yeah. Um, I feel
0: like it's due a remake, but I don't, know, I don't
1: know. Well, yes, I'm not sure many people would watch it.
0: although they'll watch anything in costumes on, on Sunday nights on BBC, surely.
1: Yeah, true. I don't, I don't know who
0: they is in this situation. Me, <laughs> <but is there laughs> <case or> <laughs> Uh, but yes, they just keep going back to Austin and Dickens. Yeah. Even Elliot, apparently not famous enough to... Nice <laughs> to
1: part tip. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I, yeah, I've only finished one Elliot novel, and that was The Mill on the Floss, and I loved it. So I really should read more.
1: I was really enjoying The Middle on the First until it got to the end, and I was like, for goodness sake. It's a bit,
0: a bit histrionic, isn't
1: it? I know. i I've sat through this book, and now everyone's dead. Like, come on. <laughs>
0: Spoilers for, for on The the Sorry, guys,
1: end. if anyone's not Everyone
0: drowns, it. basically.
1: Yeah. Everyone. <laughs>
0: Literally. astonishing whirlpool of just
1: Even characters, the doc, I think. characters <laughs> you've not
0: seen for hundreds of pages wander up and fling themselves in. <laughs> <laughs> I may be misremembering the book. <laughs> Oh dear! This is reminding me of the what my mum always says when when I mention my podcast, and she says she says they giggle a lot. So there
1: you
0: go. <laughs> sorry for all the giggling, everyone. Oh dear! Well, yes, topic one. <laughs> yes,
1: let's get to it, shall we?
0: Which I do think we've done before, but sorry if we have. But uh, it seems like something we would have done before. Um, so I'm calling it monogamous versus polygamous in um, in an effort to put it into as few words as possible but it is as you may have guessed do you read one book at a time or more than one book at a time um and i actually before we start talking about it i put a put a poll out on twitter because i'm very modern um did you see my i poll? saw that
1: i did i voted simon oh, did you yeah. so i
0: can't see who voted for what so i don't know your answer yet but um i put um how many books do you have on the go usually um hashtag reading poll um, the options were <laughs> one two to four Five to seven, eight plus, which um, looks like I'm sort of making clothes for children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you only allowed four options in Twitter polls, which is why I didn't have um, them itemised individually, I guess. And the results were: 32% of yours said one, 56% of yours said two to four, 11% of people said five to seven, and a solitary 1% of people said eight plus. And I forgot to vote. Actually, no, I do not know anything. I could vote. I don't think you can vote in your own polls. So, um, I did not vote. But we had a couple comments on there as well. my friend Karina said, oh, she must be the person who said eight plus, but she's a PhD student and that's why she's skipping the figures. She's doing a PhD in creative writing. Um, oh. my friend Rob says, at the moment nine says so more about my current inability to focus than, than anything else. Usually three, two books, one Kindle. Fraser says, I said one, but sometimes I have two from reading an ebook on my phone during lunch break at work. And Susan says, which I quite like, it's a sort of very structured answer. So one on bedside table, one in handbag, and audiobook in my car. So there you go. Wow. So, um, no, well, why did you start, Rachel? What, what, what did you answer in this poem?
1: Well, I answered one because, I mean, then I thought actually, that's a bit of a lie because I do often have more than one book on the go, but in the sense of. You
0: clearly misread the question.
1: No, let me
0: <laughs> Sorry, so sorry, to interrupt.
1: So, but I won't be reading them concurrently, so I'll often start a book, get bored of it, leave it, or be like, if it's a non fiction book, I'll start it, but because I can't carry it on the tube to work, I'll leave it, and then I'll read a whole book and then come back to it. So I'm never reading them at the same time. Okay. Um, I can't handle reading two bits at the same time. It's just, I, I just I can't do it.
0: See, this came up at my book group. This, we always have a secondary question, much like the questions we do here, in fact, I often copy them. Um, and we were half and half, but the pe- particularly one lady, a lovely lady called Margaret, um, was just shocked. She never really considered that anyone might read more than a book at a time, and she couldn't believe that half of us did it. Whereas, yeah, so I, I counted up how many I'm reading at the moment, and I only got... So, the, and by that I was thinking, what have I read in the past fortnight and not finished, uh, whilst reading these other books? And I got to five, and I, which, I thought, was rather fewer than I thought it would be, because I, I normally think if I get to ten, then it's too many, and I can't do more than ten. But yeah, I can't read one book at a time. I'm always reading lots. Um, and it's never fewer than three or four. Um, and yeah, I think if, for me it's, it's to do with attention span, maybe, that, I need to ha- inhabit various different worlds at once, so I just get bored if I was in the same one all the time until the next one.
1: Yeah, I can understand that. I think, you know, sometimes I do get bored of a book and think, oh, I just want something else. But then because I feel quite pressured to finish books that I'm starting, unless I really find them dire, I think actually, you know, I could start another book, but then you know, I'm still not going to be, I'm going to be reading two at the same time and I'm going to take me longer to read both of them. I'd rather just be, have a burst and read one and finish it more quickly and then move on to another one.
0: I think I the thing because if I've got one that I'm not loving or if it's one that maybe just doesn't suit a reading fast, um, then I don't finish it more quickly. I just don't don't read. <laughs> I I don't fancy <laughs> that one. I'll just watch TV or something. Whereas if I've got... So, for example, so I talked about The Boat by L P. Hartley ages ago on the podcast. Yeah. And I actually only finished that last week. Um, having been on and off reading it for maybe two months, I guess, three months. Um, and I thought it was a brilliant book. I need to write about it properly for my blog, but um and it was one of the few books I've read which was really slow but but it worked brilliantly. Like the pacing was really, really, really well done, but it just wasn't pacey, if you see. And it's often yeah. if People talk about pacing being good, they mean it was a really pacey read. Whereas this one, it had to be slow and a steady and take you through the storyline and the characters in, the, in a very leisurely way. It was such a leisurely book, but it had to be and it worked really, really well. But, um, but if I'd only been reading that, I don't, I don't think I'd have got through it any quicker. I'd just have been like, oh, I, I don't fancy reading something like that right now. Whereas by reading, you know, a, detect novel and a book of essays and a biography and something else at the same time, I could think, oh, what am I in the mood for this afternoon? This one's perfect for my mood right now.
1: I just, you know, I mean, I I can't manage it. I think I used to be able to do it when I was younger, but I think when I became a teacher, the fact that I'm, I'm most of the time teaching three or four, or five, sometimes six books at the same time to different classes, and then I'm reading a book for myself on top of it, I just can't keep a, a track of all the people and the characters and what's going on and what chapter I'm supposed to be on and things <laughs> and so it's just too much
0: yeah I mean I has as has become clear in 43 previous episodes I don't remember everything that happens in the books I read after <laughs> finished've been doing them um and I definitely can't read two books that are too similar at the same time but it's yeah, yeah that doesn't often happen but if, I, if I'm reading two with say young girl narrators written in the nineteen 19- 50s or whatever, then I, that won't work. I'll just constantly be getting them confused. But generally, because I think also because I start new new ones because I'm in the mood for something different, they tend to be different from each other. So the, yeah, yeah, so once ones I'm reading at the moment, one I mentioned, um, I'm reading a novel by Hugh Charteris, which is just being republished by uh, Michael Walmer, which is sort of a 1950s, well, it's supposed to be a Parody, I haven't really watched what it's parody of, but, but it's a, <laughs> about a man who inherits a Scottish estate. It's quite funny. I'm reading some essays by Max Beerbohm called And Even Now. I'm reading a biography of Ivy Conte Burnett. I'm reading a book, book about um, the uh, British crime throughout the century, told through a hundred different books. Um, and yes, yeah, so they're all... Actually, a lot, a lot of non-fiction, more non-fiction than usual, but they're all so different that... Um, I, there's not yeah there's no, no way that I get a biography of Ivy College when I'm confused with a novel about inheriting a Scottish estate for example no <laughs>
1: Um,
0: and maybe I'm just yeah just I, I, I need something suitable for any moment and I'm not willing to <laughs> to push through with a book that I'm like oh I I'm enjoying this but not not for right now do you not do you, do you do you not get time to think I'm reading say middle much like I mean, yeah. maybe not a great example because you didn't <laughs> love it desperately. anyway. But imagine a different novel that you're enjoying, but you're thinking, oh, actually, right now, I don't really feel like reading this. Will you, you just pick it up and keep going and hope that it clicks after a bit, or will you, or you do something else? Or...
1: No, I just sort of push through, really. But I think most of the time when I'm reading something, I am really enjoying it. And I so enjoy being in that world that I don't want to pollute it with another one. I just want to enjoy mm. and really kind of dwell in in the world that I'm in and I don't feel the need to to read something else but I can see at the same time while it might be really quite fun and enriching to be sort of dipping in and out of a load of different worlds um I think I'm just quite like once I'm reading something I want to just read that and I want to get to the end of it and then I'll feel like I've completed that and then I can move on to the next thing it's like when I'm at work I can't do several tasks at once I have to do one thing at a time it's just how I am
0: uh, because, yes, at work, I am very much a, I'll do part of this task and part of this task and then part of this task. Is. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and in fact, often when I'm writing, say, an article for work, I will, I'll be writing all, <laughs> four different paragraphs at once and I'll just jump back and forth <laughs> between them, which does occasionally lead to like a half-finished sentence somewhere. But basically, I just jump where the inspiration goes next <laughs> and
1: well, you know that's just how, you, how your mind works, and I think yeah. a lot of people are like that. They can function in several different ways at once. I mean, I can do several different things at once, but I have to finish each task separately. So, like, I wouldn't start, for example, planning a lesson at work, and then I'd sort of give up halfway through, and then start marking an essay, and then stop marking halfway through, and then go back to that. I can't do that. I have to sort mm-hmm. of once I've started something, I want to just get it done because I get really annoyed. Like I just I know it's not finished and then it bothers me. It's the same with books. If I've started a book, I haven't finished it, and I start reading another one. I'm like, I, but I haven't finished the other book, and now I feel like I need to read it, and then I feel guilty about it, <laughs> and then it's nagging at me. And I just think I just need to I just need to finish it.
0: Yeah, I tend to end up with a, a weekend where I've got, you know, eight books that I've come to close to the end of, and then I just blitz through as many of them as I can and finish them all in a row, <laughs> and so, and then start a whole fresh tranche, but. Well, I mean, one positive thing is that it does mean, that I, I say that, but I don't think I've got to the point where I've finished all the books I'm reading for maybe 15 years or something. I've always got something on the go because, because of the overlaps. Because yeah. I think, like, if you, if you do want at a time and you finish one, it, it must be quite, um, I don't know, quite a big decision what comes next in some, well, not, you know, a kind of life-changing decision. But well, I
1: think <laughs> you know, it is. <laughs> yeah,
0: but, but yeah, also, um, yeah, it's a very, What's the word on? Like discreet, I guess, in the sense of everything separate. Um It's like jumping from stepping stones, whereas I'm always just, <laughs> there's always something on the go. It no, never feels like I'm making any particularly big decision about what comes next, because if I don't like the first 20 pages, I think oh, I'll finish yeah. it more, but I'll read one of the other ones I'm reading instead. Mm.
1: Well, what I like about reading one at a time is I'll read something, and then while I'm reading it, I'll find a particular element of it interesting, and then I'll uh, then naturally, as I'm reading, another book will come to mind of wanting to take one of the threads of that book mm. further. So, if I'm reading a book about um, geology or something, for example, sure, um, <laughs> which happens often. Um, I will then perhaps come across a figure in that book who I find really interesting or a place in that book that I find really interesting. And then often I'll find on my shelf some kind of connection, and I'll pick it up. So when I was reading Reading the Rocks, for example, um, I then realised, oh, I've got a copy of Remarkable Creatures that I've just bought, which is a fiction book set. Of um, with people finding fossils in the 19th century and I was like well this is perfect so then I read that and then you know one thing led to another and then I ended up reading another Victorian book about something else and it's just kind of I go through phases like that where I will kind of chain all my books will form a sort of chain and then I'll get to the end of that and think right I'm done now I've, I've read enough books about this and then I'll move on to something else oh, Okay that
0: does make sense
1: Yeah Hmm
0: um i do end up with in my method that i often i've got books that i've got three quarters of the way through and i've not finished and i've not given up and i fully intend to finish them but they've never quite got to that stage <laughs> so in my head i'm still reading vanity fair but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's been maybe three years since i last picked it up but i but when i pick it up i'm not going to go back any f- further than my bookmark is i'm going to keep going from where i left off but, but how
1: can you do that i don't understand how you remember <laughs> i'd be useless
0: i mean i don't remember anything really that happened but um see about about 18 months ago i did read another 100 pages of it and i sort of was doing that it all came back to me what had happened before um but if you ask me now what happened eventually i'd be like becky threw a bible out a window and <laughs> something <laughs> else happened <laughs> um, but, but yeah once I pick it up to finish those last 100 pages um, <laughs> presumably it'll all slot neatly back into place
1: well one would hope so but I think you know it's quite an interesting way of reading as well isn't it because I suppose you're reading a bit of a book then you're leaving it for a while then you're coming back to it and you know, you're know you getting a different impression of it every time so actually it's probably quite a enlightening way of reading a book
0: yeah, I do find the only times where I don't do it, where it's like a book for book group or something that I've only started the day before and need to blitz through it. Um, and I find it such an, I find it then quite unrewarding. Um, well, I guess that's more just because there's a deadline I'm reading to. I don't, I don't really appreciate reading, I don't think anyone really appreciates reading to deadlines, do they? Um, no. I mean, we've all done it. Those of us yeah. who studied English and I think that's probably why it puts us off. But, um, but the times that, I mean, very occasionally I'll sit down and read a book straight through in one go um but even on the french holiday i had recently i was reading four books but i didn't read them one after another i just started all four on the first first day and then just <laughs> 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 dipped in and out of them throughout the and then finished them all <laughs> but, but um but yeah okay because occasionally on holiday i'm tempted just to start one of them read it through because i've got so much more reading time and then i think this isn't how you read simon it's not working for you mix it up well and looking again at our poll, it seems that um, most people are more moderate, so two to four. Which I guess for a lot of people that might just if it is just two, say it's probably just one in their bag for work and one at home or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean because carrying books is is a bother.
0: Yeah, especially if you're reading. I mean, if I'm reading a, a hardback or something, I'm not going to take that to work. Yeah. So, Yeah, to read that at home. Um, no. which obviously is fine for me but, but if I if I were a monogamous reader I don't know how I'd cope with reading a big hardback
1: No, but it's tricky that, uh, that's why I read a lot of non-fiction over the holidays because they tend to be hardbacks and um, so I read them while I'm at home It's also while my poor massive biography of Darwin has never made it past the halfway point because I gave up <laughs> on it last summer and I haven't been able to carry it around because it's like a thousand pages long One day I will finish that biography I will find out what happened in the second half of Darling.
0: <laughs> and will you start again next time, or will you keep pick up from where you were?
1: No, I can't. I I don't. I I can't face the thought of of starting again because I already made it through about four hundred pages. <laughs>
0: <that> exactly. <clean>? No. <laughs> um, well, there you go. So we both seem to be very content in our in our reading habits, but I'm very no. much on the side of polygamous, <laughs> and you're monogamous.
1: No. I'm just a better person than you, Simon.
0: I've long suspected it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. So for the second half of um, this episode, we're talking about two novels by Margaret and both of which are published by Persephone. Mm -hmm. Um, They are To Bed with Grand Music and The Village. Um, which, Which one would you like to talk about, or would you like to introduce?
1: Could I do To Bed with Grand Music, please?
0: You certainly could.
1: Thanks. Do you want me to start? Um, sure. sure Okay um, So Deborah Graham Music Is set during World War II And it's the story Of Deborah Robertson Who is in her early 20s She's married to A man called Graham And Graham Has Got himself A quite a cushy Little office job In Cairo So he's going to be Out of action For the war He's moving there um, But he's not going to be in Any particular danger And he says to Deborah Before he goes You know Um look I I probably will have sex with other people (laughs) when I'm gone but you know in my heart I won't be unfaithful to you so um and Deborah is kind of is kind of like okay that's fine I, I can see you know you have your needs but um I would never do that to you I'm going to be faithful to you the whole time and they have a little son um and they live in the countryside um but soon Deborah gets terribly bored with her life and she's, she wants to go to London, so she goes off and gets a job. And before she knows it, she's sort of drawn into this very glamorous life and she's got a glamorous friend who manages to convince her that she'll be fine to to not be faithful to her husband. And, um, yeah, so we find out about kind of an underworld of World War II London that you don't often read about, of women and men being seriously unfaithful to their partners and kind of making the most of a world that's falling down around them. So that's the story.
0: Thank you. So, yes, um, that one was written in 1946 and then a few years later, 1952, um, Magnitsky published The Village. And this is basically a a village saga about the aftermath of the war as regards class. So it starts on VE Day, um, Victory in England Day, uh, which wasn't quite the end of the war, but it was effectively, for many people, they considered the end of the war. And it was the last um, night watch being done by Mrs. Trevor and Mrs. something else, Wilson. Um, and Mrs. Wilson is uh, working class, Mrs. Trevor is upper, middle, slash upper class. Um, but through the war, they, the unusual circumstances of the war have brought them together to do this and they've become... Friends, but this scene as they do the last watch together, there's sort of a tacit understanding that they're not going to be friends in the same way anymore. And they're going to get... The assumption is they go back to their their previous lives. But as we all know, this is not what happened after the Second World War. Um, Things were never quite the same again. And this uh, novel has at its heart, I guess, the um, uh, romance between... Mrs. Trevor's daughter, Margaret, and Mrs. Wilson's son, Roy, I think. Is it Roy? Mm-hmm. Um, who, yeah, they fall in love. He is working in a factory, earning a lot of money. She, uh, Margaret is expected to sort of be a debutante and a, you know, just a middle-class girl who who is very refined, but they've got no money left anymore. So there's this curious topsy-turvy world where the working class boy is it, is much a well, working class family is much better off than the supposedly genteel family um and the we look at the reactions from the wilsons uh, sorry from the trevors um and also the rest of the village is also subtly changing as well that the um some the working class people come forward to move to the middle class area the the new vicar isn't what the old vicar was et etc et so it's sort of ch- yes it's charting the changing um Changing world, and in fact, both these novels were written after the events they describe. So she's looking back, um, albeit only a couple of years in each case, or a handful mm. of years, um, with some sort of discernment over how the world changed during moments of crises. I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when when did you read these books?
1: Well, the village I read up to years ago, um, and the. The Blood with the ground music I've read twice. So I read read it the first time when I lived in New York. So that was years ago now, six years ago. Gosh, um, I know how where did the time go?
0: Um,
1: and then I reread it about a couple of years ago, I think, and it was a really interesting experience actually, um, because I had a very different reaction to it. The first time I read it, I was very sympathetic towards Deborah, um, because we were sort of similar ages at the time, and I thought, well, yeah, you know, but why can't she have her fun and you know she's only young, and she's been left on her own with her husband. she's never with a baby, and you know she's never been able to have a life really or pursue anything for herself and The second time I read it, being much older, I was like, "What a selfish piece of work you know she's <laughs> completely spoiled, and her behavior is incredibly selfish, and I don't think I'd change my mind if I read it again now. I think I've kind of my the scales have been lifted um." And it was very interesting actually reading it twice from different ages, like being the same age as her and then being older. And it's it's kind of quite – I found it quite shocking and daring really in how – I mean both times I found it quite shocking and daring because it is a side of the war that you never read about. Everyone mm-hmm. who writes yeah. about the war is always focusing on oh, how great everyone is and how well everyone's rolling up the sleeves and getting on with it and being all patriotic and uh, stiff upper lip and all the rest of it. But this is – about how people really use the war for their advantage.
0: Yeah, and even people like... There's, there's characters in The French Lady in Wartime, and there's... Or oh, Put Out More Flags by Evening War, both of which are about the sort of... the, the people who are pretending to be self-sacrificial but are actually, you know, um, selfish. But, no. but in a very sort of exposing hypocrisy way rather than this very different angle that, mm. that Lasky showed. that Because... Um, so I read them both recently. I read to Bird of Ground Music earlier this year because I was going to a conference where where um someone, Sue, I think, who maybe listens, I'm not sure, um, she was giving a a really interesting paper on it. Um and then I read The Village for the podcast. But um yeah, I I thought it was extremely modern in the way it was written, in that there was, I mean, maybe not extremely modern, maybe sort of something I'd expect more from the 60s or 70s, I guess, because there was still maybe more questioning about should she or shouldn't she than you might get in a novel nowadays.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, I mean, this, as, as I'm sure you know, it was published under a pseudonym, Sarah Russell, yes. and it wasn't published by, under Lasky's name until after her death. Um, so she obviously felt some caution about publishing under her own name. I think the introduction says that was more because, it was very based on a real person and she didn't want it coming out who it was. And I couldn't work out if that person was her or if it was a friend of hers that she didn't want the the association coming out. Um, I found the introduction a bit confusing, but I probably read it too fast. Um, Whereas The Village, while published six years later, is much more traditional and feels, although it's describing great changes, in terms of style and in terms of character, it's very I mean the, no- the 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 tone of the novel isn't necessarily conservative, but the approach to storytelling I think is quite conservative,
1: yeah, it feels very conventional and I think that's that's
0: word yes, what's yeah what's
1: quite that. interesting about reading margarite Tulaski when you've read i mean i've I've read all of her novels i think um and they're all completely different from one another. I don't think you could say mm-hmm. oh, this is a margaret Lasky novel there's there's nothing that is a kind of i find personally um that is a defining hallmark of her work. She's a really interesting novelist, in fact, in the way that she's able to be such a chameleon and write about all manner of different topics. Um, she, yeah,
0: she absolutely I don't think there's any writer I know who is more of a chameleon, because I've read oh, whatever, Victoria Says Long, which we talked about in here, Little Boy Lost, which I think they have also talked about. Um, I love that book. And Love on the SuperTags.
1: Yeah.
0: And they're all so different. And this one. Um, sorry, well, uh, The Village, feels extremely like a Ritual Crumpton novel. It's mm. uh, a point where I would occasionally forget that it wasn't a Ritual Crumpton novel. <laughs> um, she, who, I don't know um, how many of those you've read, I can't remember, but... Um, I've read
1: a fair few of them, yeah. Who,
0: yeah, I remember you writing about a few of them. And this is a sort of canvas she uses in almost all of her novels. It's always families and interactions in a village and a bit of scandal. Um But in terms of tone and style, it was so similar. And I found it slightly strange that she called it The Village, and it was this sort of totemic novel, I guess, that it was set up to be, whereas it was actually a genre that was not just Rachel Crompton. Dozens of novelists were populating this sort of novel over and over again. Mm. And I thought it was a great example of that sort of novel, but perhaps didn't deserve a title quite that... I don't know, it felt a bit bombastic to call it V-Village.
1: <laughs>
0: it's A-Village. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's a small quibble with what I thought was a really interesting, um, albeit fairly predictable, novel.
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really interesting when I was reading it because I suppose I'd never really thought about that side of the war before when you know, it bringing together people from different backgrounds in very close and quite intense relationships out of necessity. And then when the war is gone, and you no longer have that reason to be together, how do you carry on with your life, you know, and many people did just go back to their original lives and didn't really mix with each other anymore. And I think, within that you've also got the fact that the world did change enormously quickly after the war and class was supposedly uh breaking down and people d- i think actually post-war britain there was much more opportunity than there isn't even nowadays to transcend class barriers and to kind of become somebody different and from your parents and things like that and i think that idea of what I found really interesting was the resentment of the the mm. supposedly middle class family towards the working class people who you know have the audacity to earn more money than they did, and I I found it actually quite frustrating reading it because I just thought you know you don't have to be poor you could actually just you know get a job.
0: True, <laughs> <laughs> I I, I had certainly never appreciated quite that sort of um, seismic shift in wealth. I, I obviously. You knew of some of the changes, but I hadn't really thought, I hadn't really put the two no. together and thought that the working class families would be richer than the upper class families all of a sudden. Um, but as you say, yes, they could just, uh, I guess we can't really appreciate what it was like to be in their shoes to have expected never to work and suddenly to realize yeah. that so you had to. Um, I mean, it's hard from my advantage to feel that sympathetic for people who have, because they have to get a job, because you yeah. doesn't? But, um, but yeah, it must have been such an enormous change. And then something like, one Fine Day by Molly Pants Downs that we both love mm. um, it looks back at the war from the vantage of just post-war in in a really beautiful and interesting way but in quite a different way and that there's a sense for her that a lot of things have changed but um, well for many things changed, but that it's and don't know, not quite such a struggle perhaps not. she doesn't resent it in the same way that Mrs. Trevor does
1: No, I think in One Fine Day there's a sense that it's given a a new colour to life, that it's given mm, it a new yeah. preciousness. But I think for me, the village is betraying perhaps her Lusky's socialist roots. Mm, um, sure, and yeah. you have got that. I felt like it was a bit of a dig that, you know, you middle and upper classes are useless. You know, you might have all this money and breeding, but the reality is it doesn't get you anywhere in the world anymore. You know, you don't have any skills. You don't have any uh, get up and go. And, these people are, you know, the working classes are going to overtake you because they have the talent and the drive that you don't have. Um, and that idea of, of the world becoming a meritocracy rather than simply, a, you know, an aristocracy in the sense that you inherit everything. and, I think that's really interesting, and I and I liked that sense of of hope in the in the in the politics of the novel. That uh, the kind of like you know this is a whole new world now. We are going to subvert and um, change the way things are. People are going to get to rise up and and to build um you know better lives for themselves and and be able to to move from this side of the village to the other side of the village and better mm-hmm. themselves. And I suppose that does capture that real festival of Britain sort of nineteen fifties and sixties attitude of we're modernising, we're growing, we're changing, we're not stuck in the past anymore. Um, and that is a real cap. I think that it really does capture that spirit.
0: What did you think of Margaret and Roy as characters?
1: I, I mean, I really liked them, and I thought they were really quite brave. In
0: yeah, I I, got, I liked them, and I liked. Which is quite unusual for me. Their romance—I tend to find that sort of thing, particularly in that sort of novel, quite—I don't know—not quite tedious, but a little bit sort of skipping pages, not that bothered. Mm. Yeah, and there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of particularly in Ritual quantum novels. There's a lot of f- falling in love instantly and you know declaring yeah. all, all sorts of unlikely things to each other <laughs> in phrases that people use. But this one just felt quite simple and and touching. Um, and they were aware of the odds that were stacked against them but you know um, fairly determined to go on with it although there are there are moments and I won't go into too much depth I don't want to spoil it but there are moments where it's not a picture book romance it is like there are times when they think the odds against them might be too much and it's not a sort of histrionic oh gosh I don't know if we can put it up with it but a sort of Almost, they, it comes to the point where they're almost plastically sort of resigned to the fact that it's probably not worth it. But then they change yeah. which feels more realistic than the you know overblown, great romance narrative.
1: Yeah, and I think it would be actually. I mean, I thought when I finished it, it'd be quite interesting to to go back ten years later and see see whether they mm-hmm. whether they have made a success of it because. It's quite interesting often you read books where ca- characters marry for love and I don't mind about, you know, the background your background and things mm-hmm. but gradually the the kind of the prejudices and things that they think aren't important come through more and more and, and build up to become resentments over time. Um and I wonder whether that would have happened.
0: Yeah, because so, because I mentioned earlier the other one's very offensive, and that's sort of oh, um a major note in that is that they they marry across this Albeit much closer class divide, but, but existing class divide for love and, well, attraction, really. <laughs> um, and it's a, and it, it's a, because she's constantly going about how handsome he is, and that's, you know, the one saving grace in his personality. <laughs> um, and it is about how maybe that's not enough, and then it, because it's E.F. and it all, or because it's early E.F. and it all becomes very, um, Loving and and simple simplistically solved by the end because he his caustic nature came out about <laughs> two years later it seems, <laughs> um, but yeah I think you're right because I I don't read that much from the sixties but and I don't know how how often it was treated that how we've been married for ten years twenty years after the end of the war, um how how much was that once we have realised that that great class breakdown hadn't actually been the sort of end of classes that most people thought it might be at one point I guess
1: No. It would be
0: interesting to know any recommendations people have for, for novels that address that 20 years on sort of thing
1: Yeah it would be, it's, I can't think of, of anything actually like that but I can imagine it must yeah. be
0: Well the next sort of read along club thing that um, Karen and I are running is the 1968 club which we're doing in, in, in late October so perhaps things will come up then
1: Yes, that'd be interesting. I'll have to see if I've got anything I can read for that. Yeah, okay. But, um, I think, yeah, what's really interesting is, is when you read these two books in conjunction with one another, is how kind of the village reads something almost Dorothy whipple doesn't it? It's quite easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to bed with grand music, which is this big sort of shocker of a book. And, you know, you can tell she was obviously writing it to be shocking. Um, not shocking for us nowadays, but I can imagine then it would have been very shocking. And also quite interesting from a an author's perspective in that she is writing this incredibly unlikable person who is the centre of the book and it's it's quite um quite a risk to, to do that with your with your main character. Someone who you think actually most people reading this are gonna despise. Um so it's interesting
0: sorry to interrupt. But no, it's interesting, yeah, that you say that because I also found her difficult to like mostly around the way she treats her child to be honest um at one point she drags out to london because she thinks it might i don't know be an asset and so i can't remember if it's a boy or a girl that's why i'm saying it but <laughs> her child um as some sort of asset and then realizes actually is the child's way of a hindrance and so it goes back to this housekeeper who obviously is desperately wanting to mother no. the child of the time um but yeah, it's just because I I did find it difficult to like because of that. But I was intrigued. Th- I wasn't sure what we were supposed to meant to, th- to feel about her the rest of the time because she was quite selfish and quite disloyal to her friends and quite certainly disloyal to her husband. But also, her friends were disloyal to her, and her husband was pr- intending to be disloyal to her. And I don't yeah. know, was, was she more sinned against than sinning? I don't know.
1: Well, this is the problem I think with the book in general. Like when I read it, I mean, I find I found it quite compulsive reading both times. But nobody in it is particularly likable, and and everyone sort of deserves what they get because absolutely, she's not the only person. I think it's a you can't really say, oh, she's a scarlet woman, she's terrible, because her husband starts the whole process. He's mm, like, well, mm. I'm going to cheat on you, so um, FYI, <laughs> just deal with it, okay? Because I'm um, that's not up for negotiation kind of thing, and you just think, well, odious person, but then yeah. the reality is. You know, these are two people who have obviously been drawn to one another because they've got similar traits, and I don't think either of them particularly are interested in being faithful to each other. They were obviously attracted to one another because mm-hmm. of, of what they looked like. Um, and and she think,
0: behaves particularly badly to him at the end, which she will not dress in the matter. but
1: yes. <laughs> exactly, and she behaves badly to everyone because she's selfish, because she's young and she's naive, and her mum has always told her she can have whatever she wants, etc., and she's never really had to grow up Um yeah. And, and Do you think
0: Lasky is knows that she's a bad person or do you think she's trying to paint her as some sort of anti-hero?
1: Well, I would hope that she knows that she's a bad person. <laughs> I think she draws everybody quite negatively in the book and I think it is to quite deliberately. Um, I mean, the way I read it on the second time round, certainly, is I thought, well, perhaps Lasky's trying to make a point here about how, you know, everybody's... Banging on about how wonderful everybody is during wartime, blah blah blah. But mm, this is more mm. of a realistic view of actually, you know, what people aren't all plucky heroines rolling their <sighs> sleeves up and you know, this is esque sort of yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly, you know, like this is the reality. Most people are out to get what they can from life and to, to do the best by themselves, uh, for themselves, and and by themselves. And if if it means you know screwing other people over. Um, she <laughs> so will. To speak. So to speak. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. People, even during wartime, when you think, "Oh, we're supposed to be banding together," essentially, you are going to look out for yourself. Most people will look out for themselves more than anything else, and that's exactly what Deborah does, and everyone around her does as well. And. I think what's quite interesting is that, you, I mean, I certainly had a quite strong moral response to that. I was like, well, this is terrible, you know, I would never do any of these things. And the reality is, though, I mean, would we be any different if, if we were in the same position? And it does make you kind of question yourself. And I think Lasky's quite good at challenging you as a reader like that to, to think, oh, you know, you're having quite a strong visceral response to this. Aren't these horrible people? But, you know, surely these people have all got something of us in them as well. So...
0: So I, when I was reading it, it felt to me very much like it was a parody or a satire. it had That sort of tone to it. But I couldn't work out quite what, what? what of. Oh, I don't. Which, I... Do you not get that? No. See, so yeah, because this is something I raised actually at the talk because, and, and people seem quite divided on that because to, it's. I think it's the sort of um, conveyor belt esque nature of the of the gentleman <laughs> in her life. <laughs> it's about like here's the next one, here's the next one, and I was wondering <laughs> if, if it was supposed to be a sort of parody of a Casanova type, but you know with a gender reversal to the stereotype. Um and I'm, perhaps from having read other Laskies where she does like like to um Love on the Super Tax, where it is very much is a parody, but much more obvious what she's parodying. Um it it, it didn't feel it certainly didn't seem to me to have the realism of the village or to or even to, to maybe disagree with what saying, to even have the moral complexity or the um, expectation that the reader would respond in some way. To me, it felt more like here is a heightened example of something that's going on.
1: So I think I think that
0: you're certainly right there, that she was highlighting that people are selfish in rather than just, you know, heroines all the time. But it, it felt so heightened and so exaggerated that to me, yeah, it, I, it was on the edge of being a parody. If I couldn't work out whether or not that, that was deliberate or that, if that was just or my reading of it or if perhaps it was she'd gone overboard, it wasn't meant to be, I don't know. Well,
1: I mean, that's interesting, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. Um, But I have to say, I mean, from hearing what my nan said, they all got out (laughs) to you during the war. I mean, I don't think it's that far from the truth, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe it's more the style than the events that um, made me think that because, I mean, it is very, it's very... She's literally out of one minute into another quite often. It's like, you know, but, um,
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I guess I just thought, actually, that's probably pretty realistic. I mean, there were...
0: saves money on renting, I guess.
1: Well, for sure. And yeah. I think there were a lot of men who... You know, needed seeing to, frankly. Overpaid,
0: um, over and over here, as they said. Well, yeah, yeah
1: and yes. you know, I think there was that kind of desperation, and also that sense of people being like, "Well, you know, this could be my last time," so, and that kind of feeling of I've got to to grasp life while I can get it, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it's it interesting. I'd be interested to hear what if other people who've read it what they what they think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, and I mean, it is so interesting to compare it to something like Little Boy Lost, which tells such a different story of wartime. Yeah. She really was, I mean, in some ways, I think it's a great trait that she was so varied, but it also, as you say, there's nothing that you can, I could now pin down to being the hallmarks of a Lasky novel, and in some ways I think it's prevented her from being a great writer as well, because she writes great books, but she isn't identifiable have no a and and so it's not...
1: not reliable in the sense you can't be like oh great a new Margaret I'm definitely going to enjoy that because I enjoyed her other ones because they are so different mm-hmm.
0: and so yeah it feels maybe a bit like she's just imitating lots of different people um, not in a, not in like a sort of cheap way but in that she's thinking oh today I'm going to do the domestic novel today I'm going to do yeah. the parody, political parodies today I'm going to do the you know Victorian time travel but <laughs> 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 Which, yeah, I, I think sometimes you need consistency to be one of the truly great authors, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I think people need to know what they're going to get, don't they? And I think she's a very experimental writer and she enjoys, she clearly enjoyed dabbling in different genres and trying out different mm-hmm. ideas and things. And, you know, she produced some fantastic books. but um, Yeah, I think for me, The Village just felt, it was the last of her books I'd read, actually, um So, I'd read all of her before I read that, and I'd thought that it was going to be this really interesting, sort of subversive look at life in you know, small town life. And I was just felt, oh, I was like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a mid century book. It's nothing particularly exciting. Mm-hmm. um And it felt a bit fat for me. I don't know whether if I'd read it independently of having read her others, I would feel differently, but.
0: So, does that mean you're picking To Bed With Grand Music in the Teal Books decision? Oh,
1: do you know what? I probably would, just because I I find To Bed With Grand Music something that is, is, it produces a really strong reaction in me and I really enjoy it for that reason because it's something that I've really, both times I've read it, it's made me really think about it and grapple with it.
0: Whereas I think I'm going to go with The Village, even though I completely agree with what you're saying. It's, It's not that distinct from a lot of other novels, but I think it's done so well it's sort of a basically this extremely good example of, of a subgenre that I really love. So, um I just loved reading it. I really enjoyed it. Um and not yeah, it wasn't something I expected to read from from Lasky, but I really, really liked it. Well
1: I'm glad.
0: So we're back after our task in a complete disagreement.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant.
0: Excellent. But um yes, do let us know what you've picked in each category and all the all the books that we've Mentioned will be um, listed at stuckinabook dot com, um, and in next time I'm not going to give a time scale, but hopefully it will be, <laughs> a, you know, a fortnight or so. Um, we will be t- talking about two novels by Peter Sack for West, um, which are The Air and All Passion Spent. Yes. Um, which I'm looking forward to? Me too. But it's lovely to be back. It's good to talk yeah. to you, Rachel.
1: Likewise. Yes.
0: Um, and yes. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll speak to you soon.
1: Bye.
0: Bye.